I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What you are about to hear is a work of investigative journalism that explores one woman's search for answers in her son's death. The views and opinions in this podcast do not reflect those of iHeartMedia. Previously on Somebody. Did the people you work with know that you guys were romantically involved? No. A lot of people were very, very upset with her. She lives in a really rough neighborhood. We heard two gunshots and a car drive off. You want to know what you heard? Did you see anybody running? How many shots? None of that stuff was axed. Like, down the street from where I live, this guy, like, he's, you know, he's a gang member. He has really long hair, like, down past his waist. They had said there were some Hispanic guys running around in that neighborhood, so they had claimed there was a possibility that maybe they had confused them for somebody else. So I had to follow that lead as well. I believe that somebody knows something. Somebody saw something, and it just takes a lot of courage from somebody to tell what they saw. My name is Shapiro Wells. This is the story of my son, Courtney, a young black man in a fancy car who wound up with a bullet in his back in front of a Chicago police station. And it's the story of my search for the truth. This is Somebody. Everybody. 
somebody's everything. Nobody's nothing. We bury Courtney at this cemetery called Burr Oak. We have a family plot there. As you can see, these are some of the graves. Burr Oak was originally the only cemetery where black people could be buried in Illinois. It's also the cemetery where Emmett Till is buried. It's where my grandma's buried too. And this is where Brent and I buried our two angel babies, a set of twins in 1999. Every time I come here, it's in disrepair. The ground itself is crumbling and there's weeds everywhere. The grass is high, there's trash. You can't be sad because you, you so doggone angry because the way it looks. I've had it out a few times with the groundskeepers. You didn't even have this much grass when we came here last time. Sometimes we have to redo it again because the drive well, it's, it, look They're at nice that. guys, but I have to keep it real with them about the conditions of the cemetery. It, it's horrible. It, look at this. I can't help that, ma'am. All look that's at this. Bread. Yes, ma'am. Look at this. Once that's settled, looky, looky, looky. Well, I'm sorry. That's the condition look. of this. No, no, no. You probably know by now. I'm not afraid of confrontation. Nobody should have to go here and look and be embarrassed when you come into a gravesite to, to greet. It's already a difficult situation. Look at this. Today, you want to chop my head off. But tomorrow, you're going to be hugging me. I'm sorry, but y'all know y'all got me a little heated. I'm a little heated. When it comes to my baby, I get a little heated. It's personal. It had almost been two years since Courtney died. Two years. I found out there was a deadline, a statute of limitations for me to sue the city for how they treated my son. So I got some new lawyers to take the case to court. They argued that police caused delays by taking Courtney into custody and handcuffing him and that they conspired with the fire department to prepare misleading reports to cover up their actions. I wanted justice, and I wanted those officers on the record. I wanted them to be forced to testify, and I wanted the city to see that treating a young black man as a criminal instead of a victim has consequences. There was one other thing that I needed to do on his second anniversary. I was going to hold a protest outside the police station. We were going to go there and light candles with Courtney's friends and our whole family. I'm just going to do a short Facebook Live. It's kind of a difficult moment for me right now. I tried to do this last year, but I just wasn't strong enough. 
to do it. But I feel that his spirit will be there so that he would know that he's not alone right now. And I hope that you can come out and just light a candle for him. God bless. I was going to do all of this in the middle of the night at the exact same time as Courtney pulled up to the station and called 911 trying to get help. I was going to drive the BMW that Courtney drove from my house in Cicero to Belmont Cragen, just like Courtney did. I was going to drive down Alma Street, cut through the alley, pull up by the corner of the church, just like Courtney did. It was like, for me, I couldn't be there when it happened. I always felt like some type of guilt for not being there. So for me, I had to take that journey with him so that that way he knows that his mom was there. Leading up to the anniversary, Courtney's friends started posting old videos and tributes. And so my timeline was flooded with memories of Courtney. There were tons of photos of Courtney in his car, baby. Oh my God, baby. I think that I want to say that she's my fourth child, even though she's a vehicle. Over the last two years, Bebe had been through a lot. My mom had an accident in Bebe. How did it get in an accident? She was trying to change lanes. Mm -hmm. And so when she changed lanes, she didn't see the other car. And so they ran right into the car. And when she told me that she crashed the car, I hung up on her. I didn't ask her, was she okay? Because I figured she okay because she calling me. But I just, I couldn't talk. I told her. I didn't leave the bed for three days. As much as I want to let it go, I, I can't. It was like, they, State Farm was like, well, we're going to sell it off for parts. And part of me, I felt like they're just like taking my son and just selling my son off for parts. So I was like, no, I need the car back. So I had found two mechanics, one to do the interior work and then one to do the body work of the vehicle. And it was a lot of money to get her restored. But once she was good as new, I got a new license plate for Bebe, Court 34. Now we were ready to take this drive. While Chaprol was getting ready for the second anniversary of Courtney's death, we were busy reporting. Turns out, Courtney wasn't the only one to call 911 after he'd been shot. March 4th, 2016, 1 hour, 23 minutes and 3 seconds. Someone else called 911 that night, too. A neighbor who reported hearing shots fired. Police interviewed her about a month after Courtney died. Chicago Emergency, Washington, hello. Yeah, I'm calling because I think there, were, there was a shooting right here on Long. Bulletin and Long? How many shots you hear, ma'am? Like two. The neighbor's name was Elena. She made that 911 call about six minutes after Courtney's 911 call saying he'd been shot. Okay, anybody see who was doing the shooting? 
no, but right now I was coming with my daughter from, I went, well, I, did, I went to get her um, at my house. Uh-huh. She said she heard two shots. And I was parking when the car passed by real fast, but right now through the alley, there was like two lanterns. Okay, so you heard two shots fired on the block? Yeah. Okay, I'll send someone over there to check it out. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Chaparral wanted to talk to her, but her name and number were redacted from the police report, so none of us knew who she was. But a few months later, when we got the 911 call from the city, we found her number. It was buried in the metadata that came with the call recording. So we got in touch. At the time Courtney was shot, Elena lived in the neighborhood, but she moved out because of the violence. These days, Elena and her family live in a garden apartment on the west side of the city, a couple miles from Belmont Cragen. She and her husband, Edgar, have two kids, an eight-year-old girl who loves to jump into adult conversations and giggle, and a little baby boy. What's that guy just Looks like she's a good big sister. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she seems like she's the boss, though. Yeah, she's like, she's a mom, you know. We asked her about March 4th, 2016. Here's what she remembers. Elena was parking a block from the church where Courtney would park. When she heard the two shots, she was helping her daughter out of the car. I opened the door when I heard the shooting. Then I grabbed her and I put him inside onto the car again. She called her husband Edgar on the phone to come out and wait for her in their alley. That's when she saw Courtney's car speed past her and turn towards the police station. Were you scared at any point? Oh, yeah, I was scared. Because I was with my daughter. She was scary, too. She was crying. Has that ever happened before to you? No, nothing. After the shots, she froze. But when she heard a police yeah. siren, she decided it was safe enough to leave. Yeah, I do. Elena and her daughter walked towards home, where Edgar was waiting for them. She saw a car speeding down the alley. Edgar saw it, too. He was closer and had a better view. The window was down, some guys inside. She described them as gangsters. My husband had his hands inside the jacket. It is when the car passed. And he was just looking at him. The car stopped. The guys inside stared at Edgar. He had his hands in his pockets, and he didn't want to move them because he was worried the guys might think it was a gun. His hands in his pockets. Yeah. Okay, and so the guys thought that maybe he had something. Yeah, so he didn't take his hands out. I don't remember the car. He knows the car. There was... But Elena told police she thought she saw a Camry. When we spoke to her, she said she doesn't really know cars, but that her husband Edgar remembers the make and model. Seemed like Edgar was the witness we really needed to talk to. Do you think your husband might remember what the men looked like? Mm, I think he will. Even though Edgar might have been able to identify these guys, police never even tried to speak with him. Um, how long did they stay? Was it? Like 20, 25 minutes. Okay. And they didn't talk to Edgar? No, he was at work. Okay, and they've never talked to him? No. Okay. When we told right. Elena we were working with Courtney's mom, she wanted to know more. Her name is uh, Shapiro. Oh, okay. And actually, she's going to be out there in front of the police station on Saturday oh, at yeah? the same time at one fifteen. We told her about the vigil. Okay. This Saturday? This Saturday. I uh, will try to see if I could go. Right here, I'm going? Yeah. I'm going to try to see if I could go. Because, really? yeah. Oh, Because I could tell her uh, what I saw and everything. She would, I think, be really... Um, she's also... 
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. 
you can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. And where's the key to the BMW? On March 4th, 2018, Bill and I met Chaperl at her house. It was around midnight. She was wearing a red Justice for Courtney Copeland t-shirt, getting ready, serving coffee. Her family was starting to congregate. Jasmine, grab the other baby. I think Brent already got one in the car. And Jasmine, tell... Oh, oh, and Brent, lock up, okay? Lock up. Brent and their teenage daughters, Kayla and Jasmine, were bundling up two little babies, Faith and Sahara. Chaprol has started fostering them in the fall. Now they were six months old. Chapol was getting their bottles ready. You got her passport? Mm-mm. It's upstairs. VA benefits for those who qualify. Call today at 708 I don't know nothing about this car. I swear to God, I don't. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Chapol and Bill took off together. I followed behind. You said you feel like you have to do this? Yeah. Why? Why put yourself through it? Uh, Because I feel like I've been hiding from it. So Courtney comes and he does that final Snapchat in front of our house. And then I guess that's when he was talking to Alma and he decided to go over there. And it's like, what if you had to just went to bed? You know? And just like that one second, that one second changed his whole life. It was a pretty short drive that time of night. It only took about 15, 20 minutes. This is almost block. So this is the exact way that he would come. <sighs> we went through the alley to where Courtney would park, just up by the church. Chaparral stopped the car. This is where we believe Courtney was shot. And so they, when they found glass, they found glass by the fire hydrant, which is a little bit ways. I drove over to the police station, pulled up in that left turn lane. I stopped the car right in the middle of the street, just as Courtney had done two years earlier after getting shot. Across from the police station, friends and family had started gathering, 
lighting candles, setting up picture frames. It was cold. You could see your breath. I didn't get out the car for several minutes. I just needed to sit there and think about my son, about what he must have been feeling there on the ground. I was just trying to put myself in his position and what he would have said to police in that moment. Police came out from the station. They started to surround me. They asked me to move out the road, and I just simply lost it. I'm not moving. Leave me alone. I am not moving it. No, no. I am not moving it. I'm staying right here. Leave me alone, please. Leave me alone. Y'all were talking to him. Y'all were talking to him. He was talking to y'all on the camera. What did you say? What did he say? He said he was shot. And then the ambulance came here and started taking care of him. This is when I realized who I was talking to. Sergeant Ronan. You was on the scene before then, Officer Ronan. I got it when you was able to, I got the report when you came on the scene. You was on the scene before the ambulance got to him. Oh, y'all was around him. Y'all was around him. He was the supervisor the night Courtney died. He was there that night. He was right there in that very spot. My family was holding me up. And I just wanted Sergeant Ronan to see my pain, to see that my son's life mattered to somebody. He's sitting up here begging y'all to help him. Y'all to do nothing. Because you imagine a mama seeing that? Her son begging for help. I can't even imagine, no. What That's what happened to my baby. That's what happened to my child. That's what happened to him. My son is on the ground on all his four. Remember, this is the guy we looked into. Scores of complaints against him, like false arrest, planting evidence, using racist language. My Aunt Kim, she asked Ronan, who handcuffed Courtney? I don't know. Who went to That I don't recall. I, again, unfortunately, this is two years ago. I mean, I wish I had better for you. But as far as who did this to your son, that's the detectives that follow up on that stuff. Nobody's working on it. Nobody's working on it. Nobody cares. It's just another black kid there. Nobody cares. Y'all didn't do anything yet. I don't need y'all expect to find killers if y'all don't want them. If y'all don't go look for him, and y'all tell me my son come up to y'all saying he's shot, and then he in handcuffs, how's that possible? Again, ma'am, I don't know. How's I don't know possible? what happened before I got here. You was there. You was there. You saw my baby, man. I saw him in the ambulance being worked on by CFD <laughs> trying to help him. That's what I saw. It went on and on like this for several minutes, right in the middle of the street. 
and then a white shirt, another officer pulled Ronan away from the scene. And Ronan, he just left. He told all the other officers to leave as well. Things calmed down. And our protest and the vigil, it went on. And then, out of the corner of my eye, I saw Elena, the woman who called 911. She showed up. She was standing with her family at the edge of the park across from the police station. How are you feeling? It's cold. Very cold. You brought your kids out here. Yeah. She was with her two kids and Edgar, her husband. Everyone was shivering. We ran and got Chaparral. We wanted to make sure they had the chance to meet. Your information is so vital. <laughs> I'm just sorry. <laughs> Vital to our investigation, you know, because there's nobody else going to help us. So we had to try to fight this ourselves and yeah. try to find out what happened. I understand you. When I saw Elena, I hugged her immediately. I was surprised she even showed up for a mother she never even met. It was like, okay, this is somebody that is giving me some information. and She feels my pain, and, and she's connecting me on a mother-to-mother level. I appreciate you coming out, because it means a lot. You're welcome. And I don't know if they had a chance to talk to you, but... Yeah, they were talk to me. Thank you. Before I went back to the vigil, we hugged each other again. Bill and I stayed with Elena and Edgar to talk. We needed to know what Edgar could remember seeing that night. You know, would you, would you mind would you mind translating for me? Could you tell us what you saw uh, the night? He put it on his jacket and he tried to go down the stairs as fast as he, as he could. Yeah. When he got down, he, he saw that there was a car um, coming through the alley real fast. He didn't stop. And when, that's when Here's he what started. Edgar remembered. When he got to the alley, he saw a car coming fast. So fast, he was afraid it was going to hit Elena and their daughter as they tried to cross. Yeah. Did you write down the license plate number? He only knew the first three, C40. C- yeah. What kind of car was it? It's a Grand Mercury. What color? A Mercury Grand Marquis with three guys inside. And did the police ever talk to you? Um, no, he never talked to me. No. Police never talked to Edgar. Even though Elena told them, he saw everything. The police knew that your husband had seen something? Uh, when, the, when, the, when they went to see me right here, um, I told them that he saw everything. And well, they didn't ask almost, to see him? No, no, they didn't tell me to see him. The alley was narrow, just a few feet between Edgar and the driver. And the car window was rolled down. They were pretty much face to face. And what did they look like? The girls were like white people. And Edgar remembered something else. Do you remember their hair? One of the guys in the car, 
had long hair. Somebody is a co-production of The Invisible Institute, The Intercept, Topic Studios, and iHeartRadio in association with Tenderfoot TV. I'm Shapiro Wells. This podcast is produced by Allison Flowers and Bill Healy. Sarah Geis is our story editor. Ellen Glover is our associate producer. For The Invisible Institute, Jamie Calvin is executive producer. For Topic Studios, Maria Zuckerman, Christy Gressman, and Letal Malad are executive producers. Special thanks to Lizzie Jacobs. For The Intercept, Roger Hodge, deputy editor, is supervising producer. Sound design by Carl Scott and Bart Warshaw. Michael Rayfield is our mix engineer. Our theme song, Everybody's Something, is by Chance the Rapper. Original music for the podcast by Nate Fox of The Social Experiment and Eric Butler. Additional reporting by Sam Stecklow, Annie Wynn, Kahari Blackburn, Rajiv Sinclair, Henry Adams, Matilda Voyat, Dana Brozos Kelleher, Francis McDonald, Diana Akmajian, Maddie Anderson, Andrew Fan, and Erissa Apentaku. Translation support by Benny Hernandez Ocampo and Emma Perez. Fact checking by Nawal Arjeni. Special thanks to Chris Rasmussen. Bennett Epstein, Matt Topic, David Brelo, and Julie Wolf. We want to hear from you. Email us at info at somebodypodcast.com or leave us a voicemail at 773-270-0121. To learn more about this case and for links to additional materials, go to our show page at somebodypodcast.com. You can also find a list of everyone we want to thank there. So many people helped us along the way. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, the Apollo Jim murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.